and gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Daniel Jigger! Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by The Dispatch and thedispatch.com. Go to thedispatch.com to sign up for all our wares and to find out what exactly is the chemical that Colonel Sanders puts into his chicken fortnight to make you crave it fortnightly. Um, that's a particularly relevant tease because uh, uh, at the suggestion of a listener, um, we're doing more and more of these of people who listen to interesting guests on other podcasts and are like, hey, you should get this guy. He's up your alley. Um, for your podcast, and that's what we did. So uh, we have Professor Joseph Uzinski. Did I get it right? You got it right. All right. Uh, who is a political scientist at the University of Miami and an often cited, internationally recognized expert on conspiracy theories and 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 how they disseminate. And um and he was on the 538 podcast, which I recommend to people, but we're going to cover a little of the same ground just to set the level and all that kind of stuff. So um, I guess first thing, how'd you get interested in this? I wish I had a more romantic story, but it just comes down to I had a colleague at University of Miami who said, hey, let's do something. And this was uh, about 12 years ago. And at the time, no one cared about conspiracy theories. It was sort of he had the birther thing going on with Obama's birth certificate and 9-11 right. theories were a little bit in the past, but these weren't really a major part of American politics or a major part of political science at that point. It was well off the beaten path. And I was inclined to say, no, I'm not interested in studying this because it's too weird. Um, but I went ahead anyway, and um, it took a lot of work because there wasn't a lot of ready-made data to study uh -huh. something like this at the time. So I had to create the data, start doing polling. And um, as it turned out, um, Trump came along and everything changed. And now, you know, people can't stop talking about conspiracy theories. So you're just, you're just slightly ahead of the curve, which is a good place to be. Yeah, I'd like to say that I have some responsibility for it, but I don't. It was purely by accident. And yeah. I've been running a Google alert on the term conspiracy theory for almost 10 years now. And back when I first started this, I'd get maybe two or three articles a day coming in that had the term conspiracy theory in it. Now it's almost 100 a day. Wow. So this is something that journalists everywhere are just paying a lot more attention to because this is seemingly the new language of politics. Yeah. Well, so I want to get to that because as sort of an amateur and intellectual historian, I mean, one of the things I find fascinating is, is that there's been a lot of politics in the past that were driven by conspiracy theories, Pro protocols of the elders of Zion, all, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Um, but let's sort of start at the beginning and um, define your terms. What is a conspiracy theory? So a conspiracy theory is a accusatory perception in which a small group of powerful people are acting in secret for their own benefit against the common good and in a way that undermines our bedrock principles against widespread force and fraud and further this theory has yet to be um, supported by the relevant knowledge generating authorities with open data um, and open expertise that can be refuted Okay, so for instance, all right, so because I've been thinking about this, we kind of need a different term for conspiracy theory 
because a conspiracy theory automatically suggests something kind of crackpot or sinister, right? But you can also have just a theory about a conspiracy and you admit that it's unproven, right? So that used to be the, the way. We didn't used to have the term conspiracy theory. It wasn't widely used before, say, the 1870s. And even then, it took a, a while for it to catch on. So you would just have theories, and some of them would involve conspiracies, and some would involve other stuff. Right. So it was just one amongst several options. Um, but over time, it's sort of become its own term. And yes, you're absolutely right that for some people, the, the term carries a lot of negative baggage with it. Mm-hmm. But for other people, it doesn't, right? And whereas you would think that if I called an idea a conspiracy theory, it would automatically get people to not believe in it. Right. I, don't, I don't find that at all. People are more than happy to believe in conspiracy theories when I label those ideas as conspiracy theories. That's interesting. I mean, because, for example, I, I, you know, I, I was... I, one of the reasons why I really liked your appearance on the 538 podcast was one that you were uh, very balanced about pointing out the distribution of the, the conspiratorial thinking across the ideological spectrum. And two, because you basically confirmed all of my priors about this because I have, I have lots of these arguments. Um, it doesn't help me in academia one bit. <laughs> I don't want to know, but like, these days I get some strange new respect because I am not, you know, uh, on the Trump team. And I think the right is embarrassing itself in all sorts of ways. But, um, but still, I wouldn't go around bragging about that in the faculty lounge. <laughs> that said, um, um, what is, so is there an important distinction? And I, I just want to, again, I'm just trying to set the table here. Is there an important distinction between um, believing in conspiracy theories or being prone to conspiracy theories and just simply being paranoid? So paranoid would refer to, I think people are out to get me. Uh-huh. My mother, the mailman, the neighbor, they're conspiring against me for whatever reason. Right. And that's, that's a very different uh, situation than saying, um, I think that groups are out to get us. Mm-hmm. So conspiracy theory tends to be a lot more political in the sense we're talking about power, you know, a small group of powerful people who are acting against the interests of us, the, you know, the common folk. But, I mean, and you know all this stuff better than I do, but, I mean, it's an interesting distinction, but couldn't you say the plural of paranoia is populism in a certain sense? So the, so a lot of writing on populism gets to this idea and says there are so many overlaps between populism and conspiracy theory. Because right. populism says, you know, you have this corrupt elite who are controlling things against the common good, and conspiracy theories often get to that same idea. Right. So the, the, the know nothing stuff was amazing. The conspiracies of the Jews and the Brits and the crown and they didn't get Colonel Sanders. But anyway, so they're not exactly the same thing. But on a Venn diagram, they're highly overlapping. Uh-huh. So, uh, I mean, you could be a conspiracy theorist and not be a populist. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know how you would be a populist without being a conspiracy theorist, except if you were like, well, the elite is up to no good. They don't listen to us, but they're not conspiring. They're just detached. I guess that would have to be the. The, the one area where it wouldn't range into conspiracy theories. Okay, so since since this is your uh, your metier, your forte, um, your oeuvre, um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, uh, do you have a negative connotation for conspiracy theory? I mean, like you, before you said there are conspiracy theories that are just theories about conspiracies, and then there are conspiracy theories that are 
you know, conspiratorial, you don't want to say paranoid. Do you think that conspiracy theory is a neutral term in your own thinking of it? Well, it's it's all going to come down to how people perceive it. Um, so if you want to view it negatively, that's that's a choice you make. I mean, there's nothing inherent in the term that would make it negative or positive. Um, but but to me, I mean, if you're asking me what I think about the theories and how I think about them, I mean, when people ask me, do can they cause harm? Yes. If people have beliefs that are detached from our shared reality and they act on it, it could cause serious problems. Um, but on the other hand, there are con- some conspiracy theories right. um, that will turn out to be true. Or even if they're not true, they could still be valuable in the sense that they can be a tool to push for the release of more information. I mean, we know more about Kennedy now because of conspiracy theorists pushing for this stuff. We know more about 9-11 now because of 9-11 conspiracy theorists pushing for more inquiries. Um, so those are good things. It's just there, there can be a point where it becomes degenerative and we're just sort of um, beating a dead horse on a conspiracy theory where it's just not going anywhere. Right. So, I mean, it's an important, it's an interesting distinction because my, I have some colleagues and friends and a lot of former friends on the right who um, love to say that the Russia Trump collusion thing was always a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And in the distinction that you're making, that's true. It was a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, it didn't mean though, they want to use the word conspiracy theory to make it say, seem like it was insane to think it might be true. When in reality, you know, Donald Trump gives a speech calling on Russia to do more hacking. He had all these business relations with Russia. It turned out from what we can tell and from the knowledge generating sources like the Mueller probe, not to be true mm-hmm. in the, the extreme version of it or anything like that. But I do, I've never thought it was irrational to explore the possibility that it might be true or to think that they could have done it, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things um, that it's, that's why I say we need another word for it because, or we need to say crazy conspiracy theory versus reasonable conspiracy theory. Well, because we use conspiracy theory to refer to the theory itself. Right. And I think what your friends are getting to is what's driving people to believe in it or not. And those are two very different questions, right? So a theory can be very conspiratorial. It can also be true, and you can be, and even if it's not true, you can be completely rational in believing in it. Now, if you were a Democrat during the Mueller investigation and you were just watching the news, it would be fairly rational for you to assume that this was indeed true because all of your information environment was was saying as such. You were hearing from trusted sources in the mainstream media that it looks like Trump is a Russian agent or conspired with Russia. And what we found in in polling was that it wasn't underlying conspiracism Mm -hmm. within the person that was driving this belief. It was simply being a Democrat. So all that was really going on there was their partisanship was driving them to listen to certain information sources, which then was telling them this. And that's how they adopted that belief. So it's it's not coming from a place of, you know, where people are just sitting around being Looney Tunes right. and imagining crazy conspiracy theories. It was them responding to a a bunch of overwhelming signals in their information environment. All right. So uh, let's back up for a second. Um, what, what are the most widely held conspiracy theories among Americans? So historically during the, during the years in which we've been doing polling, it's been Kennedy. So uh-huh. 
It only took a few months after the Kennedy assassination for 50% of Americans to believe there was some sort of conspiracy or cover-up behind the assassination, and then that jumped to 80% and stayed there for about 35 years. Hmm. And only since um, around 2000 has it come down. And in my most recent polls, I'm getting about 45% believe in Kennedy conspiracy theories. Now, I think part of the reason for that is people are dying off. We have generational turnover. Right. Um, so the, a lot of, you know, like my students nowadays are like, who's Kennedy? <laughs> so it doesn't, doesn't ring true to them. So in my most recent poll, we asked about, uh, 22 conspiracy, different conspiracy theories. And the, the one that came in the highest level agreement was that the 1% controls the government. Mm-hmm. And the second highest was that Epstein was murdered. Okay. So, um, you don't get a lot of love from people on the left call, saying that the one saying the one percent thing is a conspiracy theory. I would say. Yeah, because you know, just as they would say, well, believing Trump is a Russian stooge is not a conspiracy theory. They would say, well, there is real inequality, and you know, rich people have more control over the government than poor people. Therefore, this isn't conspiracy theory. And I say, no, it's conspiracy theory because the way it's presented, both in in how I poll on it and in how Bernie Sanders. Or if you go to the UK, Jeremy Corbyn talk about it. Right. It's conspiracy nonsense. It's a yeah. small group of evil people acting in secret against the common good, and they control everything. And then, and then it, once they get beyond those details, everything else they say just becomes nonsense too. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, Bernie Sanders will say, "Well, they're running a rigged system," and then on the other side of his mouth, he says, "They're free market gamblers." <laughs> Can't be both, <laughs> right? Right. Right. And it's just like where we find some conspiracy theorists who say, you know, Princess Diana was was killed by the queen and she's still alive. Well, wait a minute, you know. Well, that's also with like the 9-11 truther stuff. George Bush is one of the world's was was one of the world's biggest idiots. And he's just a colossal fool. And he orchestrated the mass murder of 3,000 Americans with a controlled explosion and without a single person being exposed to the conspiracy. And that's the same thing that happens now with, with Trump. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, he's the biggest idiot. And right. on the other hand, he's a master conspirator. He's, yeah. a, he's, he's, he's a talented Russian spy, and he has been one for 40 years. Well, those two, those two things don't jive. Yeah, or like the, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a North Carolina county commissioner who said in, in really bald terms, County Republican commissioners said in really bald terms that uh, the coronavirus pandemic is just a hoax designed to erase the good economy that Donald Trump created. And if you take just two seconds and think about, okay, so the Democrats got the Chinese to release this in Wuhan, killing lots of their own people, costing them hundreds of billions of dollars, and then got it released in all of Europe and around the world, and then in the United States, and they did it without any fingerprints, but they can't nominate a better candidate than Joe Biden. (laughs) It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, But uh, so speaking of the COVID stuff, you know, uh, so you you, you make this distinction, and this came up in the 538 thing. Um, Sometimes conspiracy theories are driven by partisanship, but sometimes conspiracy theories... Sometimes partisanship gives you a certain amount of immunity to conspiracy theories because you are, by definition, if you're a partisan, you actually believe in the party system. You think it's important to get political power, and that means it can't all be 
ruled by the pentaverate. There must be some role for elections. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anything to do with the parties, right? Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot there. So, you know, one example I like to give is 9-11 truth, mm-hmm. is that when 9-11 happened, shortly thereafter, these conspiracy theories sprang up, and it was mostly people on the left believing it because they thought George Bush had blown up the Twin Towers. Um, that's changed, though, in recent years yeah. because Trump has sort of given people the at least people on his side, the permission to believe that George W. Bush was behind 9-11. Yeah. So now you have equal numbers of right and left buying into 9-11 theories. But it wasn't like that for a long time. It's just like a Democrat's not going to believe Barack Obama faked his birth certificate. Right. Um, because that's their side. So there is there is motivated partisan reasoning that's going on here that sort of creates a firewall so that partisans aren't going to accuse their own party, usually of conspiring against us. Um, but there's another part to this too, and that is that some people may have an, a, a slight attachment to a party or a group attachment or something, but they're not really, they don't really feel ingrained to the party system. So as whereas a lot of people see politics as a battle between left and right, some people see it as a battle between us, the people, and them, the corrupt elite, right. to varying degrees. And for that reason, it's, we find the people who have those views very strongly are the ones who buy into the stuff about the moon landing was faked and AIDS was a plot to kill people and um, 5G is a scam meant to poison us. They believe all those things because if you're a partisan, you're taking your cues from what are normally, you know, normal institutions who say normal stuff that isn't all cons- sometimes conspiracy theories, but most of the time not. So, it's those people who are existing off the beaten path of mainstream politics that will buy into a lot of this, I guess what I would call anti-system conspiracy theorizing. Um, so I'm sure people will ask you about the, the Richard Hofstetter essay, you know, um, the paranoid style in American politics. Um, I've always had a big gripe about it because um, for sort of the reasons that you're alluding to, um, it works from the assumption that it's just the right-wing bourgeoisie that is prone to this kind of thing. When I actually just think human beings are prone to this kind of thing. And it doesn't mean that at any given one time or another, one group of one demographic won't be more into this stuff than another demographic. But the the sort of you know, there was a there's a certain bit of like Theodore Adorno, you know, authoritarian personality stuff overlaid into Hofstetter, and um, it has been used ever since is to make it this thing about how conservatives are necessarily more paranoid, more conspiratorial, more anti-authority or anti-science than liberals are, and while again, I think that could be true at any one given period of time, like this moment right now, maybe. Um, but I don't think there's anything hardwired there. You know, so can you just sort of tease out where you come down on, on, on this question of the ideological distribution? You know, I mean, you're not a, you're not a political psychologist, right? You're just a political scientist. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. <laughs> and, um, but does the polling data find that there is this sort of any sort of rigid fixity to the distribution of conspiracy theories in American politics? So let me start by saying something that I guess your audience will probably agree with. I mean, mm-hmm. acad- academia is biased well to the left, 
And it does concern me that that there are a lot of, you know, strongly left-leaning researchers and professors who who do this and, yeah. and they always wind up with the same answer oh it's all the right they're a bunch of you know they have this negative trait and that negative trait and that negative trait and right. it's not even clear that one the traits are negative and it's not even clear that if you measured them in a more even-handed way that it that it, it wouldn't come off more even between both sides and Hofstetter makes a good example of this here was a far left guy who in the wake of the red scare of course he was going to pick up a pen and write about right. what was going on on the right wing of the country. Um, but when we when we measure this, when we get under the hood a little bit and leave aside the specific conspiracy theories, right. which could be driven by partisanship rather than by something more inside of us, uh, when we get under the hood, what we find is that left and right are are equal over and over and over again. So in every national poll I do, we're finding um, that when you just measure. Um, people's people's worldviews, the worldview that would lead them to be um, susceptible to conspiracy theorizing. It's even between right and left. And of course, it's going to be the case that some conspiracy theories will believe will be believed more by people on the right, like if it accuses the left. But when you accuse the right of stuff, um, you get yeah. lots of uh, Democrats buying in. So in March, when we asked people, I mean, do you do you think that uh, Trump colluded with Russia or that Trump is a Russian asset. We got 37% of the population. Right. Um, and most of it is people on the, on the left. So, and then, and then the argument would then be from them. Well, that's, there's good evidence for that, or that's probably true. Right. Or, or when I confront them with the 1% stuff, they say, well, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's true. Um, because as more and more data comes out, I mean, it keeps backing them into a corner and they keep trying to find a way to get out of it. Cause it used to be, when I first got into this 10 years ago, they said, well, nobody on the left believes in 9-11 conspiracy theories. And then the polls kept showing, yeah. no, it's a lot of people on the left and almost exclusively people on the left. Um, and then they just, well, no important people yeah, believe yeah. it. So they keep moving their goalposts as, as, to, as, to, as to this point. Um, you know, and, and the, the refrain now is, well, look at Trump. Well, people have been making these claims about the right for right. a long, long time, so, long before Trump uh, ever showed up. All right. So, well, I very much like framing the 1% and I agree with framing the 1% thing as a conspiracy theory. And I'll just tell you a little story out of school. I once attended, I've, I've attended things like Coke network things, right? You know, from the Coke brothers who are the subject of many conspiracy theories. And I remember being at one room, it was right, like literally the day the New York Times has a like major editorial slanted thing about how, you know, the 1%, the Coke billionaire types are running everything. And I go into this room and it's full of people. The average net worth of every single person in the room uh, was probably, probably started at 20 million and went up to the billions, right? And, um, uh, and they were all convinced, speaker after speaker, people getting up on the plenary session saying, saying that if only they could get around the political consultant class who really runs everything, <laughs> they could get the stuff that they want. And I was like, well, Jesus Christ, if these people think that they are locked out of the system, nobody's running anything, right? So I agree with you on the 1% mm -hmm. thing. I think that's one of the great things about a democracy is that 
nobody really knows what they're doing and everything's an argument. But the problem with me, only objection I have to the 1% thing is that it's, um, it's an ideological proposition as much as it is an actual theory, right? It, you know, wrapped in there, there's all this stuff about inequality. There's absolutely true observations about how the 1% have more, you know, opportunities than people in the bottom 20% or whatever it is. So there are all of those sorts of things that I think get wrapped up into an ideological proposition that the the, the smart defenders of the 1% stuff, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm usually just treating it like a pinata, would say, look, take it seriously, not literally, right? Is there a, is there a left-wing conspiracy theory that is as obviously batty as the old their fluoridated water stuff or um um you know the 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 bigfoot cover up i mean and that kind of thing i mean anti-vax stuff seems to cut across the entire ideological spectrum no so anti-vax does so um well here's how i would res- respond to that i mean it, the, then we get the, then we get into the place where we, we can justify anything trump says too sure. and go well there's some kernel of truth right 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 underlying yeah. what he says and you know, like he called Joe Scarborough a murderer. Well, he's not really meaning that. What he really means is sometimes the media is biased. Right. Okay, fair well, enough. <laughs> all right. So I say that the 1% has, a, has a greed that knows no end, and they're making it hard for you to survive. Yeah, yeah. And heads, heads they win, tails you lose. I mean, that's not a, a normal conversation about wealth inequality sure. or how much control people have in government. I mean, so so that rhetoric goes far beyond no, but, reasonable conversations about what we could have about those. It's a, those it's a very good. Things. It's a very good point. Yeah, and then and then the other issue too is yes, it does form a part of leftist ideology. So it's more left leaning people that buy into one percent ideas than right leaning people. But with that said, it does come from a place of conspiracism, where the biggest predictor of one percent beliefs is actually do they have a conspiracy worldview. Hmm. And that explains a lot, quite a bit of people having those beliefs. So you could be a Democrat who says, I'm concerned about inequality, but there's no reason you have to buy into the idea that the 1% controls everything. Um, so in March, I, I polled on, a, on, on about 22 different conspiracy theories. So the, one that, the ones that lean the left the most, and again, I could poll on thousands, sure. literally. Um, you know, uh, so we asked, did Republicans steal the 2000, 2004, and 2016 election? Uh, we got 20%, 27% of Americans buying in, but almost exclusively on the left. Uh, Trump's a Russian ax- asset and colluded. Uh, and then a second question was, did he collude uh, with Russia to steal the election? 37% for both of those, mm. that he's a Russian stooge and colluded with Russia, um, and both both heavily on the left. Um so, I, I, yes, you you can go through, and if you ask about a bunch of conspiracy theories that accuse the right mm-hmm. of conspiring, you're going to get a lot of people on the left. Right, right, right. And and vice versa. What about aliens? And, and probably, it, it, yeah, and, and, and in similar numbers, too, depending on what's salient at any given time. But there's a lot of other conspiracy theories, too, where they're not pitting left versus right, where you're going to wind up with people of both sides sort of buying in. Um, because, like I said, they don't see themselves as Republican or Democrat system. They see themselves as against the system. Right. And that leads them to buy into all these anti-system ideas. So 
what is is there a partisan breakdown at all on say uh bigfoot conspiracy theories that you know you... yeah so the last polling data that i have on and i don't poll on bigfoot very often because he, he doesn't <laughs> apparently he doesn't live in florida um but but but, but we did not see a big uh, a big thing either on aliens too it, it yeah. depends on how you ask the question and sometimes a little more left a little more right but not not anything that would really um you know, say one one party is the is the party of that. Um, but I did. I you may be interested in this. We asked about if the government was was uh, covering up alien contact with humans, mm-hmm. and we got one in three Americans saying yes. They believe that 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 had taken place. What's wrong with the, the other two out of three? What what what? Why don't why aren't they? Why don't they agree with me? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I guess they're the, they're the people that are no fun because yeah. this is the thing: is that the the alien believers tend to be the funnest people, right? They're really cool. Like the 9/11 truth people, they're not that cool. They're yeah, not yeah, fun yeah, to yeah. hang around with. They're very angry. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. Um, so this is, I admit, sort of a psychological question, but you're deep in this literature. One of the things I've always sort of assumed about conspiracy theory, you know, conspiratorially minded people is that they run into a problem in life or something that they see as a big problem for them or that is just simply bad. And it's sort of like theodicy, you know, the, you know, why does God allow evil in the world? There is this tendency in the human mind to imbue inconveniences or misfortunes or tragedies with intentionality, that someone must have intended this thing to happen. And then they just reason backwards, just connecting the facts that they, re- they, they reverse engineer from a conclusion, just picking the facts that get them to it. Um, do you have a, I mean, do you think everybody is prone to this kind of thinking? Just some people have it more than others. I mean, do you have a personal view about where this psychology comes from? Well, in terms of starting with the conclusion and working backwards to post hoc justify evidence, everyone does that, whether it's conspiracy theories or not. Right. So it's not like everyone's walking around as this scientific thinker saying, let me gather evidence first and then come to a conclusion. It just people aren't wired that way. Um. But I have a phrase I like to use that that I mean descriptively and not pejoratively. Uh-huh. And even when I say that, it has not garnered me any favor with conspiracy theorists. Uh-huh. But it's that conspiracy theories are for losers. Yeah, It's like, who complains about the umpires or the referees after the game? It's not the winners, the losers. Right. Who thinks they were cheated after an election? The losers. Right? So, So it's much easier to say you were cheated than to say you know, I, I didn't play well or the other side beat me. It's much easier to, to, to not have to do that sort of accounting in the mirror. It's much easier to say I was cheated. And so when, when we do polling before elections, we ask people and we say, uh, if your candidate doesn't win, will the outcome have been due to fraud? In, in in 2012, because that was the last sort of normal election, <laughs> we got equal numbers of left and right saying, yeah. Right. And then after the election, that number cut in half. So it was only people on the right because they lost in 2012 saying, yeah, we were cheated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's normal. That goes, that, but that just goes back and forth. So when the, the winners think the outcome was hunky dory and the losers don't, they're very upset. I mean, Trump is sort of the exception to this and then he's continued on 
with the conspiracy theories, but only about things where he is either under threat or actually lost something. So he doesn't complain about the electoral college vote. Right. He complains about the popular vote, which he lost. And and he has, I mean, so my colleague at the American Enterprise Institute, Yuval Levin, he has a book out making this larger point about a prob- the problem. One of the problems we have in our culture is that there are very few people who want to actually subliminate themselves to an institution and take responsibility for running the institution. Everybody wants to be sort of the rebel, the outsider, the whistleblower, the one, the critic, right? And Donald Trump, in many ways, is the perfect illustration of this point. The guy won the presidency, but he constantly talks as if he's not the president of the United States. Someone really needs to look into this. It's like, you, you have the Justice Department, you have the FBI, you could look into it. But he doesn't want to actually do the job. He wants to have the excuses for why and the, th- and the things to whine about. And so, you know, he gets elected and he says, he floats a conspiracy theory that 5,000 illegal, 5 million illegal immigrants voted for Hillary Clinton. And that's why he lost the popular vote and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how much is Trump's true, I think, paranoid and other it, it, specific psychological issues kind of throwing up your throwing off your models for how this stuff normally works? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's thrown off everybody's models. So yeah. um, there are a lot of major theories in political science that sort of, I wouldn't say they went down the toilet in 2016, but but clearly they had to, you have to, uh, you know, amend them in some way. Yeah, the party decides stuff is all gone, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> say it's all gone. I mean, it, the party matter, And if anything, Biden would certainly show that it, that it clearly does matter. Yeah. But Trump's an exception to the rule. And if the rule predicts 99% of things and just not one thing, I wouldn't throw the theory down down the toilet. And 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 I think that I think there are reasons to save the party decides. Um, um n- n- the least of which is that I'm friends with some of the people that wrote it. <laughs> no, it's a great book. I mean, I, 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 I'm I very persuaded by a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> um but 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 here's the thing. So so you're absolutely right in that it is weird for Trump to do these things. So do you go back in time, 1998, Hillary Clinton goes on TV and says, you know, this whole impeachment thing is part of a vast right-wing conspiracy to get my husband. Right. It becomes a coffee mug. It's a joke because nobody really thinks the president of the United States is is a victim of a shadowy conspiracy. When Obama started his 2012 uh, re-election campaign, the first commercial he put out on YouTube was that secretive oil billionaires were out to get him. Right. And that hit the ground with a thud. Nobody, because it doesn't work with their image because they're like, I'm the president. I'm an insider, I'm running the establishment, and I'm stable, and I'm part of this thing that we call government. But Trump doesn't do that. He's He has marketed himself as the outsider, as someone who's working against a system that is entirely corrupt to its core. And that's why this works for him, whereas it wouldn't work for Joe Biden or Obama or Clinton, um, because he he sets himself up to be outside the system. And and that's that's why the rhetoric works in mm-hmm. this instance. But it wouldn't work for you know, uh, like if George W. Bush said, "I'm a victim of a shadowy government conspiracy." Well, your dad's been running the government for fifty years. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but it, so this actually this is the weird overlap with the party decide stuff is that um, a huge chunk of 
you know, one of the one of my problems with the way Congress works is, is I basically call it a parliament of pundits because so many of these people would rather have spots on Morning Joe or Fox and Friends than actually do this thing called writing laws. <laughs> and they've outsourced so much of their their actual legislative power um, to the executive branch. And normally the chief executive would be happy to use that power. But Trump also wants to be a pundit. And so you have this sort of grand dysfunction in, in the way the system works where everybody wants to pretend they're the outsider and that there are these evil manipulative forces someplace else that are the source of all of your problems. And um, anyway, I can't remember why I got on that. Part of it was distracted because the dogs just ran by. But um, I did want to ask. Well, I can explain something sort okay, of interesting ahead. here with Trump. And, and this gets to the party decides and the uh -huh. whole conspiracy theories are for losers thing. Is that when Trump got into the race in 2015, he was up against 20 more Republican more experienced right. people. So he wasn't going to be able to out-Republican anyone. He wasn't going to out-conservative anyone. And he wasn't going to out-experience sort of anyone because he had none of those things. Right. So all he could do um, was to run as what he really was, which is as an outsider. Mm -hmm. So he turned everybody else's strength against them. So whereas George Bush could, or excuse me, Jeb Bush could say, you know, I, I have a lot of political experience. What Trump did was to turn it out his head and say, well, the more experienced you are, it only shows how much more corrupt you are. Right. You're, that, that you are a much more ingrained part of this corrupt system. So he, he, he turned everybody's strength against them, and he used his outside, outsider advantage, um, well, his outsider status to his advantage. And the people who were voting for him in the primary were different than the ones voting for Rubio or Kasich or Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. These were people who had much... Uh, stronger conspiratorial worldviews than those other Republicans. So he was chasing a different group of people. So then what happened was once he got the nomination, then all those other people in the Republican Party who aren't so conspiratorial inclined towards Trump's rhetoric went along because he was the Republican nominee. They didn't have a better choice. They certainly were going to jump ship to Hillary Clinton. Right. So he was able to get the party behind him simply for the party label. But he got the conspiracy-minded Republican folks behind him because he was a conspiracy theorist. And that's how he upended the system. So um, how contagious is this conspiratorialism, right? I mean, I'm just mm -hmm. trying to come up with a the pejorative version of conspiracy theory mongering, right? Um, how, how, you know, it, certainly from where I am, it is much more contagious than I thought it would be because there's just an enormous number of people in Washington who should know better, who've been here longer or know more about Washington than I do, who are, and look, I, I don't like the administrative state. I've written all sorts of things about it. I think, you know, Philip Hamburger makes great arguments, all that kind of stuff, but they bought into the hard versions of the deep state. They bought into the hard versions of, uh, the system is rigged. Um, they, you know, they talk about, the media, which I certainly believe the mainstream media is biased, but I, I would say that most of that bias comes from groupthink and um, herd mentality and not people, you know, sitting like Dr. Evil in a room figuring out how they're <laughs> going to do stuff. And um, it does feel like it is far more prevalent, at least among a lot of, you know, conservative types than it was 
even a little while ago. Um, and certainly on the vast world of right-wing journalism, it seems like a lot of the audience wants more of this stuff. So is it, it's, so it's not purely a psychological thing. It can be prompted in people, right? So, I, I mean, there's a systemic issue here. So if you imagine all these people who are sort of just a little bit partisan, a little bit liberal, a little bit conservative, but really their, their real issue in life is it's them against the establishment. Um, what Trump did was to grab those people and essentially build a coalition with them. Mm-hmm. So his rhetoric is now aimed at, at, at keeping these people together and supporting him. This is his core group. And because the president is engaging in this rhetoric, it's now sort of permeating the rest of the Republican Party so that you're going to have a lot of people who maybe would not have engaged in outward conspiracy theorizing a few years ago. Now they'll do it either because the leader of the party is doing it, Trump, or because it's given them the space to come out and express what they thought all along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, anyway, it, just, it feels like sometimes I'm losing my mind and... <laughs> Uh, you know, like I've been taking crazy pills and, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for SaneBox. If you ask me to name the single biggest workplace time waster, I don't even have to think about it. It's the Rothschilds. No, I'm sorry. It's email. In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that didn't even need an answer. But what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically, not automatically, automagically gets your email under control and filters out all the messages that don't need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with whichever email client you already use. It also has some nifty features like the same black hole, where you can banish senders you never want to hear from again, and same reminders for sending email reminders to your future self. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com Dingo. Today, to start your free trial and get a $25 credit, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash dingo. We thank SaneBox for sponsoring today's episode of The Remnant. Um, I know, I mean, part of the problem with guys who do a lot of polling, and I got no problem with polling stuff and all of that, I used to work for this guy, Ben Wattenberg, who was major into all the polling, is that it's sort of like drunks who look for their car keys with the light is good. You know, you can only look as far back as the polling goes for certain things, but I'm sure you've looked into this. Are there any indicators to have a sense of prior to the age of modern polling, right? Uh, whether we're more or less conspiratorial than we were say a hundred years ago or 200 years ago. I mean, is, is because with a lot of these things, it's like turning on the light switch. You, turn on the polling, all of a sudden you see all the, it illuminates all these problems that we have. The problems had always been there. just now you have light to see them, right? That's a major problem right now in how we discuss this issue, because a lot of people are saying, well, 
conspiracy theories are so much bigger now than they ever have been. And I'm like, based on what? Yeah. Um, and it's it's what they're confusing is that we're paying more attention now than we ever have in the past. Um, and it's not necessarily the case that we either have more theories or more people believing or more people acting on it. It's not clear that any of those things are true. In my data, at least, it's not clear that writ large people are believing more in conspiracy theories than they have in the past. Um, but that, again, that only gets us back so far. Right. Because people have been polling for almost 100 years, but they haven't been polling on conspiracy theories very much. Right. And it's only in the last 10 or 12 years that we've been asking about a lot of different conspiracy theories and a lot of different ways of measuring it. Um, but prior to that, I mean, the only time series you have really is Kennedy assassination theories, which goes back to the 60s. But that's not, but that would be like trying to, um, you know, know about the the stock market from looking at one company. It doesn't, right. you know, You'd be making bad inferences. Um, one thing we did when I first got into this um, back in 2009 is I said, is there a way to go back in time and look at what people were talking about? Mm -hmm. So I went to the letters to the editor of the New York Times, and we got about a 1,000 letters a year going back to 1890. I yeah, made my graduate assistants read all the letters <laughs> Um, <laughs> they did not like this. <laughs> um, so we wound up with 120,000 letters. So 120 wow. years, a thousand letters a year, going through every letter, um, that had been written and finding the ones that, that discussed the conspiracy theory. And what you find a little bit is that it has sort of come down over time. Um, but again, I don't necessarily trust the data for, you know, in terms of making that sort of distinction, because yeah. it could be the editors are letting more letters in, less letters in. It's, it's, it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say this, though, is that you would like to think that the New York Times sort of edits out all the kooky stuff. No, they don't. And we found all <laughs> sorts of we found alien alien believers, Bigfoot stuff, all yeah. sorts of the kooky things in the in the letters. To the, and the in the letters editor at the New York Times historically has always said we're not. I'm going to edit things out. If people are interested in something, we're going to let these edit, these letters through. Uh -huh. So we do find a lot of conspiracy things. But what sort of interested me with with the data was that over time, it sort of swang back and forth. When you had a Republican president, people were, were accusing Republicans and big business of conspiring. And when it was a Democratic president, it was communist, socialist unions, Democrats are the ones who are conspiring. So there's sort of this swing back and forth normally that followed partisan politics right so just like when when clinton was president it was you know clinton was killing people and whatnot right. and then bush came in and he blew up 9-11 and cheney and halliburton and were for oil and then obama showed up and all those things became politically sterile and now it was he faked his birth certificate he was a secret muslim he's a communist and then trump shows up and now he's a russian stooge so the only thing that's different now is that that trump is pushing conspiracy theories too but the left certainly does it because they're the out party right now during the Trump years. But that's that's sort of a regularity that we we found over time. So um, because, I mean, as I referenced earlier, you know, it's it's attributed to all these different people. Um, some people say it was Lenin. Some people say it was Bobble or Babel, however you pronounce his name. Uh, the line that anti-Semitism is the socialism of fools. Right. And um, there is a unique way in which it seems to me that Jews fit a certain part 
of the conspiratorial brain, right? Because um, they, there's that, not to, again, not to go all Jonathan Haidt, but there's that us versus them thing, the interloper. Um, and uh, so Jews have been the subject of conspiracy theories, you know, for a thousand years, for 1500 years or something like that. And it seems like it's, um, that would be one place you could look. I mean, I, I understand that it gets wrapped up in other issues of bigotry, right? Mm. But I mean, that would be something of an indicator holding constant about whether you subscribe to, I mean, it's one thing if you tell a pollster, I dislike Jews. It's another thing if you say the Jews, um, what cost me my job today? Or, you know, the, the, the Jews are the ones who kept, who canceled Firefly or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, uh, anyway, so, I mean, what do you find in your polling about the sort of cons the conspiratorial nature of anti-Semitism? So it's it's tough to get to some of this because people aren't always going to be honest yeah. on this point. I often get asked, you know, are people going to be honest about their conspiracy theories? Um, for the most part, yes. I mean, people are more than willing to to express their beliefs. Um, but this is one area where you do see a little bit of um, people being hesitant to share these ideas because I they're mean, not socially acceptable. But for some of them, it must be like the dream come true. Someone calls them up and says, tell me about your conspiracy theories. I mean, the, the guys with the tinfoil hats must be like, here's yes, my it's opportunity. Like, you it's know? happening. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, someone's <laughs> listening to me. <laughs> Um, in March, you know, we asked sort of a mild, a mild version of uh -huh. this, and that was that is the uh, number of Jews who were killed in the Holocaust exaggerated for political purposes, and we got fifteen percent agreeing with that, uh -huh. and that's sort of an extreme belief in the sense that if you believe that, you probably believe in most other conspiracy theories, right? Um, but if you believe in other conspiracy theories, you don't necessarily believe in that. So for people who are really conspiratorial, mm -hmm. the, the, the Jewish thing is, is going to be playing a role in there. Whether it has something to do with Jews specifically or it's just because, oh, there's a group of people. I see them as an out group and, you know, they match this archetype of, of, of powerful people. Um, that, then that could be the reason. You know, with that said, you can look around and you find a lot of these um, even weird conspiracy theories often boil down to anti-Semitism, whether it's the Rothschilds control everything, or right. even the lizard people conspiracy theories, where they say interdimensional lizard people control everything. That often comes down to to anti-Semitic tropes, too. Yeah. Well, I would argue, and I don't want to get in the weeds on this, but a lot of that is is sort of very, it's the, it's the film in the bathtub from Marxism. You know, there was... Marx had a lot of nasty things to say about the Jewish spirit, the Jewish question, the role that Jews played in society. Um, and a lot of that stuff, you know, from movies like They Live, you know, uh, <laughs> you can swap out. They Live is considered, I've wrote an essay about this, is considered by a lot of hardcore Marxist ideologues to be one of the greatest Marxist films ever made. But all you have to do is tell someone, oh, no, the aliens really aren't capitalists they're jews and it doesn't change the meaning at all you know? mm. there's just something there's something in some of the marxist stuff that lends itself to that um but since we're talking about all the fun you know uh topics that make friends with people um is there a 
is there a a racial or religious or otherwise or ethnic propensity in the data about who's more likely to believe in conspiracies and who's not? I mean, if you're if you think about conspiracy theories are for losers, then presumably rich uh, country club wasp white Republicans aren't the main practitioners of this stuff. But yeah, so wealth and um, so how much you make a year and how educated you are are the two most consistent predictors of uh, conspiracy worldview in the sense that the more educated and more more money you make in a year, the less likely you are to have that worldview very strongly. Now, that's an average across the population. So you can have highly educated, very rich people who are hardcore conspiracy theorists. But on average, um, those two things um, sort of are negatively correlated. Why that is, it's hard to know for certain, because it could be the case that um, you know, the more you get educated, the less likely you are to see these shadowy plots everywhere. You c- come to other more scientific explanations, or it could be the case that institutions of higher institution or of higher education kick people out who are hardcore conspiracy theorists. If someone wrote to me and said, "Hey, I want to come do a dissertation with you and get my PhD on why Bush blew up the twin towers," I'd probably be like, <laughs> "No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not interested." So, so the forces could be working in both directions, just the same. If you make a lot of money in a year, you might feel, wow, I'm really secure and there's no shadowy forces out to get me. On the other hand, if you are hiring somebody to be your financial advisor um, and they're going to manage all this money and, and they're going to do very well for you. And they said, you know, when I when I make financial decisions for, for your portfolio, what I'm going to have in the back of my mind is how the Jews control everything. <laughs> You're going to be like, no, I'm not hiring you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it, there are forces going in both directions, and we have yet to tease out um, you know, w- 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 which of those is the more important, but pro- they're probably both important to a, a, a certain degree. Um, but just to get back to, but in terms of other, in terms of other demographics, I mean, men and uh, women are about equal, blacks uh, and whites, Hispanics, all, all about equal, just they're going to believe in different specific theories. Right. But the right. propensity will be similar. Um, can I offer you one, uh, not necessarily um, dispositive or ex- doesn't exclude the other theories that you put forward, but for why people who get education tend to be less subscribe subscribe less to these things um and it may only explain be very little explanatory value but just extrapolating from my own experience having lived in washington now for a quarter of a century having seen congress up close seen think tank world up close Mm -hmm. seen donor world up close had lots of meals with senators and congressmen the idea that these jackwads would know how to pull off some of these conspiracies <laughs> is sort of nuts, right? And I, I say that with love because some of these people are my friends, obviously, and I'm a think tank guy and all that. But, like, if you've actually worked in government or known the people who work in government, the idea that you can pull – and George Will used to say that – he was talking about JFK, the, the Oliver Stone JFK movie. Is that, you know, there are these theories that the federal government is infinitely evil and infinitely competent. And the reality is much closer to the opposite, Mm -hmm. right? And I think maybe the more you go through elite institutions, the more you see that nobody really knows what the hell they're doing. (laughs) And and they're just making their best guess at things. And they can't actually pull off conspiracies. Anyway, that's just a one. So I think there's there's actually a lot of truth to that. And I'll tell you why. So when we ask people um, what they do for a living and what sector they're working for, 
um, the people least likely to have a conspiratorial worldview work in government mm-hmm. and in the financial sector and in the military. Yeah, yeah. And those are the three things that get the most accusations thrown at them. Yeah. But the people who are within them are like, we just don't believe this. Probably because they're experienced, they say, we don't know what's happening one day to the next. We can't predict things. We can't make things happen. And they, they sort of see it exactly as you described. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's the people outside those institutions that don't really understand how they work that that imagine the, that they are able to pull off these plots. Yeah, I mean, I see this all the time. Uh, there's a whole movement on, you know, sort of, for want of an exact, more exact label, the nationalists on the right these days. Mm-hmm. Smart people come out with essays every couple of days now talking about how, you know, the think tanks like where I hang, I had the American Enterprise Institute and other, or the Cato Institute where I have friends that uh, we are all writing certain things or refusing to write and say other things because our billionaire corporate China worshiping payload, you know, overlords will not give us permission to. And then, you know, you actually go to the coffee machine down the hall and you're talking to like the people that are supposedly in the pocket of China or whatever. And they have no idea where these people get this stuff. I mean, it's like it just and the same thing would happen at National Review. A lot of smaller sort of right wing outlets had these grand theories about how when I was still at National Review about how we were manipulating things and all of the rest when, you know, we were just. We were just, you know, ink-stained wretches coughing up stuff on a page. And it does get to this conspiracy theories are for losers thing. If you're on the outside, you don't know how things actually work. You connect dots in ways that lead you to your conclusion regardless of the evidence. Well, I should show you my inbox because it's full (laughs) of people accusing me of, you know. So after I did the 538 podcast and I said, you know, this Bernie Sanders 1% thing is just conspiracy nonsense. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, I got all sorts of people getting angry at me on Twitter saying, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's he's a stooge for the 1% and he's he's getting paid off and this and that. And it's like, even if that was true, it wouldn't make any sense because – you know, I'm probably the one professor who doesn't believe the 1% conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's like they decided to pay me off, That's right. but they can't afford to pay off any of my colleagues <laughs> who are going around saying the same thing. So I guess I'm the only one who would take their money. Yeah, it was like I, for years, you know, I write maybe one or two columns a year on Israel over the last 20 years. And immediately it's because I'm in the pay of the Mossad. Immediately, you know, and and. It's like I've only been to Israel once when I got there. I was like, oh, great. I get to collect my back checks, you know, because um, but a couple questions I have to ask you about. First is, do you have any conspiracy theories that you believe in or think are might be true? So here's the answer. No, not so much anymore. And it's not that I, I, I am immune to it. It's just that now my thinking, having studied this for so long, is that. I will entertain conspiracy theories and say, oh, that might sound like it should be investigated, but I just reserve belief. I just don't believe in a lot of stuff anymore until whoever is the expert in it says this is this is what happened. So I I, I guess that's the best way for me to handle it is just to, to not jump to any conclusions. I mean, I think there are things that could be true, uh-huh. and, and I think there are a lot of things that deserve more explanation. Um, it does upset me that they haven't put out more stuff more documents on the JFK assassination. There's no reason they should be holding things back, but that doesn't mean I think they have a document in a safe somewhere that says we did it. Right. 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 You know, so 
so I, I think that there are that powerful people can and often do bad things and they should be held accountable. And as citizens, we need to be very vigilant and um, we need to be on the lookout for these things. But that doesn't mean that every conspiracy theory is true. I mean, when I grew up, you know, I was really big into the Oliver Stone movie and I was mm-hmm. like, this is this is awesome and this is the truth and finally they're getting it out and everyone's in on it and then as i i've probably watched the movie i don't know a hundred times now because i show it in class and i'm like this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen (laughs) and it's because everyone everyone but kevin costner's in on it (laughs) right yeah no but that's the thing so that right you know that raises an important point i am much more inclined to give a conspiracy theory the benefit of the doubt in the sense of let's look into this more if the theory itself alleges that a very small number of people did a very accomplishable thing, right? So like on the, on the Jeffrey Epstein thing, this does not take, you know, the kind of resources required to take down the Twin Towers and crash four planes or any of that kind of stuff. It's bribing a couple guards. It sure does seem sketchy. It sure does seem weird that the single most important criminal prisoner in the United States, that they dropped the ball on this guy. So like that just on the grounds of incompetence requires a serious investigation to figure out how they screwed that up. And if somebody says, look, this is just too fishy, something weird happened here. I don't think that person's nuts or anything like that, right? Well, there's two different perspectives there. You could say, this sounds fishy. We should investigate more. And I think we ought to have different um, investigative units all poking their head in on this to to find out what happened. And we ought to have multiple reports and see if they line up. Completely fine. That's very different than saying there's something fishy here. There must have been something bad that happened. Yeah. And so so I can agree with the with the first perspective. Like yeah. this this seems weird to me and I hope there's a lot more investigation and that it's open and honest. And but I'm not going to jump to um a conspiracy conclusion until you know there are experts who would say yes, okay, we caught somebody who actually killed him and we have evidence. I mean in, in a certain extent any criminal investigation where it seems like the culprits were plural is a conspiracy begins with a conspiracy theory, right? So in a legal term, yes. Like like I conspired to knock over the ice cream truck or the 7-Eleven or something, right? right? Or my wife conspired with her lover to kill me and take my money. Um, but when we're talking about it in this sense, it's a much more political sense. So the conspiracies, the conspiracies and conspiracy theories that I'm concerned with aren't just to commit lower level crimes or everyday crimes. It's to undermine our bedrock ground rules against force and fraud. So it could be illegal, right? So if Trump works with Russia to undermine an election, both illegal and it undermines our bedrock ground rules, um, but it doesn't have to be illegal. So if I said the Beatles are conspiring to brainwash our youth in, into becoming an army of teenage communists, there's no law against communist messages and Beatles music, I don't think, but it, but it would count as a conspiracy. Yeah. All right. So what, um, as part of like sort of my argument that, that the paranoid style is actually pretty well distributed across because we're all human beings, all from the crooked timber of humanity and that we have, we, we might have different permission structures or different moments of, of political or ideological fervor that make us more inclined at one moment or another. Um, 
But that, not only does that hold true between left and right or Republican and Democrat, but it seems to me it must hold true between the U.S. and other countries, right? That, that other countries are inclined towards conspiracy theories to some extent as well, some more, some less, I think. But um, I mean, it sounds to me like you're saying countries with high levels of social trust have low levels of conspiracy theories. Is that true? So it's this is the thing. It's tough to measure this across countries in a way that that um, is is necessarily um, getting to the same thing, because every country is going to have their own culture and and, and and political forces that sort of bring people to particular ideas. So, for example, we believe in aliens a lot more than European countries, but we have a long history with this, starting with Roswell and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of we're not the only country with strong alien beliefs, but we're probably the most alien believing country out there that I've pulled on anyway. Yeah. So you mentioned so, so there's something unique in that sense, but that's only that theory. I would say the U.S. is exceptional in many ways, but conspiracy theories probably isn't it, where there's some that are less than us, as far as I can tell with polls, and some that are more than us. Um, I would say there is something cultural mm. about it um, in our politics in that, you know, I love the Declaration of Independence, the first couple of paragraphs, the greatest political prose written in the history of mankind, and then the rest of the document is a bunch of crazy conspiracy crap about the king. <laughs> And Jefferson's first draft had a lot more conspiracy uh-huh. nonsense in it that Franklin made him take out. So there is something sewn into our politics. And separation of powers isn't about people, you know, happily sharing responsibility for the sake of doing so. It's based on the assumption that if you allow unfettered power mm-hmm. um, and responsibility, people will abuse it. And we need to have checks against those conspiracies to do yeah. exactly that. So it's it's sewn in. Um, but. With that said, we're you know it's not hard to find other countries where there are a lot of conspiracy theories that are prominent in their politics too. Yeah, I mean the Iranians have all sorts of crazy experience, you know, conspiracy mostly about the British. Um, the French have their issues about the Jews. Um, you can go down a kind of a long list. I mean, I have a French friend who says, you know, you guys think that you're all into conspiracy theories in the states, but you should come to France sometime. I mean, they're much more mainstream there. Um, um, but you mentioned on the 538 thing, the thing about space, about a- the alien visitors. And um, the only other country, other country that you said comes close, I think, was Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, why did you, because it was funny, why don't you tell your story about why Argentinians are <laughs> more likely to believe in aliens? So so um, there was a poll a couple of years ago and it said, um, asked a whole lot of countries, you know, do you think that the government's hiding alien contact and usually the u.s comes 25 percent or more and in my oh. most my most recent poll we got 33 percent. so one in three americans um think that the government's hiding aliens well we um, did have that ufo stuff come out so you can see why the number would bump right? yeah and yeah. The, and the main this is the mainstream media takes advantage of this right right, right to, to sell to sell clicks but um anyway argentina argentina comes up 25 percent thinking uh-huh. that the government's hiding aliens. It's like, why Argentina, not any other European country or whatnot? So I live in Miami. So I was at a dinner party with these nice Argentinian people. And, and I said, you know, one in four Argentinians believe that um, aliens are landing there and the government's covering it up. And I said, why do Argentinian people believe this? And he turned to me and I was expecting this really nice sociological explanation <laughs> um, to, to talk about his fellow 
country people. And he goes, it's because the Vatican is hiding a secret uh, alien landing base up in the mountains of Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense then. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what's wrong with the other 75%? Um, but, you know, so I, I was thinking about that. I listened to the podcast and uh, and it's funny, but so, you know, you have this thing about how conspiracy theories are for losers, but it seems to me that there's also a thing about, it's a certain kind of, I mean, I know you don't mean it in a pejorative sense, but there's a certain kind of pride that comes with conspiracy theories, right? It's that we are entitled to X. We have been denied X and therefore, because we are so deserving and we are so special, somebody must have deprived us of it, you know? And, um, and the reason why I bring this up is that I've known a couple of Argentinians. I know a couple of people who lived in Argentina, 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 <laughs> and uh, I got that from you. And then, um, uh, <laughs> Uh, and the thing about Argentinians, which are, are really, I, I, I like Argentinians a lot, but um, do you remember in Star Trek how Chekhov was always saying, yes, this is a Russian invention, right? And like, like there's this weird jingoistic pride and arrogance that Argentinians have. And uh, I remember a friend of mine who lived in Costa Rica said that he met a bunch of Argentinians in the late 1990s when everybody was arguing about making fun of Al Gore for saying he invented the internet and all of his Argentine, all these Argentinian friends of his were all saying, that's crazy. Everyone <laughs> knows that Argentina invented the internet. <laughs> and so I wonder if maybe there's some of that, that, like one of the things that pings your national pride shape or your individual pride, you know, like, so why are the, you know, why are Arabs so convinced of anti-Semitic, you know, uh, uh, and British conspiracy theories, you know, maybe it's because of the specific cultural relevance of that or why, you know, or why do Argentini Argentinians, why do people in Argentina <laughs> um, do the space thing? I mean, there is something weird about how like, well, of course, when aliens visit, ours would be the country they would visit um, because we're the special country. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, make there's a lot there, but I mean, it's people can sometimes cling to conspiracy explanations because of their own narcissism. I, I didn't win, but I'm really special. It must have been people conspiring against me. And of course, the conspiracy theory can also play into people's narcissism. Like, I have the inside dope. I know what's really going on. Everyone else is a sheeple. They don't know the truth. And then on a collective right. level, and there's been a lot of studies on this in, in Poland, where they say people who have a sense of collective narcissism, like to, to explain um, their, 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 um, their circumstances, um, they are likely to fall for conspiracy theories. And it can work the other way, too. So, so you brought mm -hmm. up France. So when you ask people, you know, do you think that yeah. the moon landing was faked? Very few Americans believe that. When I poll on, I get 5 or 6% at most. Why is that? You would think it would be tons of people because yeah. that theory has been around for a long time and that's a big event, but it's a point of national pride for Americans. So they're not going to say we, uh, we faked it, right? Say that we did it. When you ask France, right. you get three times that amount. You get almost 20% and say, yeah, the Americans faked it. <laughs> huh. yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, interesting. Um, okay. So there's this running joke. I swear I didn't sucker you into 
coming on this podcast to embarrass you or anything like that, but there's this running joke on this podcast about Bigfoot erotica. <laughs> we, I don't have to get into yeah, the yeah, details There was, there was a Congress person running for Congress who was into Bigfoot I, erotica, uh, yeah. You have no idea how many people said I had to have him on the show. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's completely a harmless backstory in that I had my friend Andy Ferguson on here. We were talking about how there it's a big country and people believe or are interested in all sorts of weird things. And I mentioned Bigfoot erotica and he made it into a joke and it became this running gag. And there's there's a lot of Bigfoot erotica out there. But I heard you talking. About, so I have to just bring up Big Feet, you know, which is the plural of Bigfoot. Um you mentioned uh, at some point belief in Bigfoot being a conspiracy theory, but isn't so the conspiracy theory isn't that Bigfoot exists. The conspiracy theory is that Bigfoot has been co- his, his existence has been covered up, right? No, I would say no. So Bigfoot is not a conspiracy theory. So that would be like a cryptozoological belief or a folklore belief. So if I believe in Chupacabra, yeah. Bigfoot, or just the aliens exist they're left-handed people yeah right? there's I mean, no there's nothing conspiratorial about that if i said bigfoot was working with the government to take over or something like that then uh-huh. that would be a conspiracy theory um but there is this i mean there is this belief out there that for some reason i mean like, i can kind of understand why the government might hide the existence of aliens but why the government would hide the existence of some bipedal charismatic megafauna in the Pacific Northwest is kind of lost on me, you know, like um, people can come but, up with whatever they want. I mean, here's, here's the interesting thing. It's like, um, we have a history a channel called history channel that used to be about history. And now yeah. it's about ancient alien conspiracy theories. We have a yeah. channel called animal planet. That's about fake animals it has all Bigfoot programming, and I think the number one show they ever put on was a, the Mermaid Conspiracy, in oh. which mermaids not only exist, but are being, I guess, killed by super-secret Navy weapons out in the ocean, oh. and then the, the, the mermaid bodies are washing up on the shore, and their Navy's hiding it. Um, Finally. So um, what you will find is that the same people who will buy into these ideas— that aren't uh-huh. really supported by evidence like Bigfoot, mermaids, chupacabra, ghosts are the same people that will also buy into conspiracy theories too. Um, mm-hmm. So if you go back to the X-Files that show that we watched in the nineties, um, it's it, one episode is the alien conspiracy. The next episode is the government's covering something up and the next episode's a ghost or a spirit or a demon or something. So those are all going to the same audience. So it could be the case that, and, and this is, you know, this is what some evidence shows is that the people that buy into these these pseudosciency ideas, the paranormal ideas, um, also buy into conspiracy theories too. And it it's, could be the case that they're just susceptible to, um, you know, unevidenced ideas and yeah. thinking. There's part of me that wants to believe that we believe in this stuff more because I I, I think one of the big problems we have is the tendency to view event you know it's sort of a marshall McLuhan kind of point is that we view events as things that happen through our tvs and that encourages us to see things as entertainment we follow politics like it's a form of entertainment Mm and once you get in that framework then the more entertaining the theory the more susceptible you are to it but again I, i don't know either whether we are more likely to believe in this stuff now than we have been in the past um all right, so I, I have to bring it up, and then I'll—I I promise I'll be done with you. Um, but thank you so much for doing this. Um, QAnon. 
Um, I've, I, I can't, I, I have not, I don't think I brought up QAnon in the two years, three years I've been doing this podcast. I don't write about it. Um, having spent, you know, in internet years, I'm Methuselah. So I've been dealing with crazy people on the internet for a very long time. But you must have interesting things to say about QAnon. Is it something new under the sun? Is it, is it, is it filtering out be into your polling at all? Um, what do you think? We get it? very few people who really like it. Um, mm -hmm. And not you would think everyone knows about it now, given the amount of mainstream coverage it's gotten, but a lot of people still don't know what it is. It's sort of a fringe yeah. thing still. I think what's most interesting about it is that it's often, in the media, it's referred to as a far-right conspiracy theory. There's nothing mm -hmm. really far-right about it. The only thing that's remotely right about it is that it, it is pro-Trump. Right. But when you poll on it, what we find is that you've got Democrats, independents, and Republicans sort of buying in equally. And it's it's less about mm -hmm. a partisan struggle and more about a struggle of outsiders versus insiders, about a corrupt mm -hmm. establishment. So none of the claims it makes are new. It's just taking every stupid claim there is and putting it together into one. So a lot of it... Like if I said, oh, yeah, there's this idea that there's, you know, satanic pedophiles occupying the deep state trying to battle the president. Well, that's the Oliver mm -hmm. Stone JFK movie almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's nothing really new in it. And a lot of the things I come up with are, are conspiracy theories and weird ideas that existed. And they're just getting slopped together into this one thing. I think the only thing new that interests me here is sort of the hierarchical structure and it's ongoing nature. In the sense, you have this person or persons that claim to be Q. They put out the messages on the anonymous message board, and then other people sort of interpret them, whether it's on Twitter, with YouTube videos, whatnot, and then spread it to, to make it more palatable for other people. And then you have people sort of getting in, and they feel the sense of camaraderie. Whereas you don't really have that with Kennedy. It's not like oh, you're a Kennedy assassination conspiracy believer too? Let's hang out, you know, let's go get him. Yeah. Where here, there's really a sense of group belonging and that they're a part of something that's going on right now. And as they say, mm -hmm. where we go one, we go all. Yeah, yeah. All right, I was going to squeeze in a Sid Blumenthal joke there, but I took the high road. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this, uh, Professor Joseph Uzinski at the University of Miami. Um, thanks for coming on the uh the podcast. Thank you. It was my pleasure. All right. So Professor, Professor Uzinski has uh, left the studio, as it were. And um, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, he, We almost had a Tyler Cowen problem in that he had his answers so ready at mind that sometimes I kind of struggle to come up with the, the follow-up question. Um, but because he clearly, he's like the go-to guy on this stuff. So he I kept trying to think of what's a question he hasn't been asked before. Um, I feel a little guilty because uh, the uh, departed Jack Butler was a, a somewhat serious conspiracy theorist. And um, um, it would have been fun to see him here pulling his hair out saying, that's not true. It was the Illuminati um, or whatever. But, uh, and I do think that this thing about how, um, given his definition of, of paranoia, um, this thing about populism being the plural of paranoia is an interesting idea for me to think about. Um, 
All right. So anyway, uh, thanks again for for listening. I got to go write a column. And um, please go to the dispatch, sign up. Uh, we I posted the, the Wednesday G file and we brought it out from behind the paywall for people because so many people were um, haranguing and harassing me with um, for my allegedly bad takes on uh, Kaylee McEnany and 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 that Gorka guy and Michelle Malkin and and Lord knows who else. Uh, so my sort of omnibus explanation of why I said what I said and why I haven't changed my mind about what I said is up on the site. If you uh, agree with it and think this is the kind of place for you, that's great. If you disagree with it, but you still like the fact that I'm honest about where I'm coming from and think this might be a good place for you, please become a member. If you hated it entirely, but you like the other people who work for us, please become a member and just don't read my stuff. That'd be fine with me too. So anyway, uh, thanks again, and I'll see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast. <laughs>